1: Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I'm not on today. It is another biblical Jewish holiday, Tabernacles in English, Sukkot in Hebrew. I'll give it a little explanation when I come back on. But it says, "Do not do work on this day." So I'm not in. Keeps me sane. And what will keep you sane is this remarkable, extraordinary young woman, Amala Epunobi. She is a presenter at PragerU. She is a real find. We thank God we found her. She is a powerful force for good in this country. She's a riot, and she's a live wire, and she has a BLM tattoo. (laughs) How's that? And now, ladies and gentlemen, Amala Abunoghi.
2: Oh, goodness. Good morning, everybody. What a brilliant introduction from Dennis. He's always got me grinning and smiling behind the scenes. I know some of you can't see me this morning, but just know there's a big smile on my face. I'm your sit in host for today, Amla Epinobi. I'm 22 years old, and I'm currently working as a Prager U personality at Dennis's institution. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I feel like it's necessary to tell my story. It's always how I start the show when I guest host for Dennis. I used to be a very radical, leftist. And this is because of the house that I was raised in. I happen to be a young biracial woman who was raised by a white mom. I don't find that to be particularly important, but it becomes important to the story as we move along. My mom happens to be a very radical leftist. Sorry, mom, I'm allowed to say that on air because it is true. (laughs) Um, And from a really young age, I, I grew up with her and around her work. She was a single mother of three. So when I I had days off school. I was going to work with her. And as you can imagine, I was deeply entrenched in leftist ideology. As young as probably 10 years old, I was working with my mom, making little posters for the protests that they would put on at her organization that was at the forefront of nearly every single left-leaning campaign that was happening in Florida. Uh, For for those of you who are unfamiliar with campaigns like the fight for a $15 minimum wage or for women's rights or even open borders. I was there working alongside my mother and hearing her stories as she did this work. And from a really young age, I was made very cognizant of my, my race and my gender. I was raised by a white mother, as I said earlier. So she took it upon herself to let me know that being biracial in America might present some difficulties for me, that there might be certain barriers set in front of my success and in front of my flourishment in this country. And a lot of people hear that and give a big tisk 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 to my mother and say, you know, why would a mom teach a child to be a victim? Why would they instill those sort of values in a young child's brain? But when I think about it, my mom was truly trying to do the compassionate thing. If you are a believer in leftist ideology and you truly think this country is systemically racist it probably is within your best interest to warn everybody who's going to be affected by it and as I said before my mother took it upon herself to warn me I often try to think about my earliest political memory, and I think it was when I was about eight years old on election night. That would have been in 2008. Again, I just aged myself. I am a baby. Uh, And on this particular day, I was so excited because my mother was going to let me stay up past my 9.30 bedtime to sit in front of the TV and watch as the election results rang in. So I sat there with my mother and my sister and my brother, and we watched and I slowly dozed off, but Eventually we would come to find out that President Barack Obama was now the President of the United States and my mother sat in front of the television and tears just welled up in her eyes. She started sobbing and at eight years old, I did not understand what was going on. We had Obama signs in the front yard, the bumper sticker, we were talking about hope. My mom was knocking doors telling people to support this man and I thought why is she crying? (laughs) Her candidate just won the election and my mom brought us all together and she said this is a very historic moment and stated that she never thought such a racist racist country could elect a black president. And in that moment I knew that being black in America was very important and that there might be a problem that people have with that and with my existence. So I would go on from the ripe age of eight years old to get extremely involved in politics as i said before i was a very angry teenager who was angry at the world its institutions i was angry at conservatives i was angry at white people because we all know the narrative is that white people are are the people who created this this victimhood that i now have to sit in and when i graduated high school i told my mother you know what mom i don't feel like pursuing higher education my guidance counselors freaked out, my grandparents freaked out, everybody was very upset about the fact that I was not going to pursue higher education, but I told my mother, I want to work at your organization, I want to do the work that you're doing, because in my mind that was the only way to solve the problems that I was facing as a young person. And this is something that I've, I've liked to call self-regulating victimhood now, that once you are convinced that you are a victim in any way shape or form the only thing you want to do after that is go and convince other people and that's what's wrapped up in the narrative when it comes to leftist ideology is that that is the only option for you you must go out you must tell other people you must convince them you must get them involved or no change is going to be made and i was convinced that this was my job this was my priority this is what i've been asked to do placed in the world to do and i told my mom to get me a job there And she did. I got hired after graduating high school at her organization to work as a youth organizer, which meant that I was running around, knocking doors, telling people how they should vote, where they should vote, asking them about their values. And I loved it. I was obsessed. I had fantasized about having a job like this, and now I had had it, and I was going to be the one individual who changed the world. (laughs) Yes, I was a very delusional young person, but I would walk around and knock doors, and every so often, I would get somebody who opened the door and looked at me, and I would express that I'm a community organizer working to reach out to our youth, and they'd say, you're just like Barack Obama. And my little eight-year-old self just smiled and grinned. It was probably the, the happiest time when I when I heard that from people. So a lot of people ask, of course, how did you wake up from that? What was the moment that made you leave? And to that I say there was a lot of very small instances that slowly chipped away at the ideology that I believed in. And it came to a point where I had to face it. I couldn't run away from it anymore. And a lot of that surrounded hypocrisy. I was going into work every single day and hearing about how horrible white people are, how horrible they'd been in history, and now the white people who are alive in modern times are the ones contributing to the power and the systems that they have that they don't want to break down because they want to remain in power, that they will continue to oppress us until the day they die, and they'll hope that their descendants do the same. So I'd go into work, and hear this narrative and I'd go home every night to my white family and my white grandparents who happened to be pretty conservative they'd leave Fox News on in the background as we ate dinner and I thought This does not seem right. How am I hearing this narrative about how racist white people are yet returning home to my white family who's done nothing but take care of me? I was the happiest kid. I never wanted for anything. I did well in school. They made sure I got scholarships. They made sure I got a job. They make sure that I worked hard and that I had values of just strength and integrity throughout my entire life. And you just can't hold those two thoughts in your head at the same time when this is your experience and this is your life. So I went to one of the heads of the organization and confronted him about what I was going through, about this revelation that I had somehow brought myself to. And he looked at me and said, you simply don't know how oppressed you are. And it's not my job to teach you of that oppression. It's not my fault. You're not as angry as you should be. And in that moment, I didn't know it because I stayed at that organization for quite some time after, but in that moment, something shattered. And uh, the lens that I had been viewing the world through broke, and I could constantly see places where I was saying the wrong thing, places where I was going down the wrong path, uh, the, the miserable nature of the work that I was doing, the depression that I was setting myself in, and eventually decided to leave. And that was the greatest decision I had ever made, The second greatest decision I ever made was going down a rabbit hole on the Internet to try to find answers to the questions that I had. And in that rabbit hole, I found Thomas Sowell, Dennis Prager, of course, who has now been a mentor and such a great influence on my life. I found the likes of Dave Rubin. I found Larry Elder. I found Roland Fryer, a brilliant tenured Harvard professor. And my eyes were just open to the fact that I didn't need to sit myself in that pit of depression that I was in. I didn't need to view myself as a victim. And in fact, I could lead a very fulfilling life by just changing up my set of values and changing the way that I viewed the world. So I made that choice. I left that job. I started working in medicine rather than in politics. And we'll get to the story of how I got to PragerU in the next segment. And I'm so glad that I did. If you'd like to support the work they're doing at Prager, You can go to prageru.com slash donate or go to prageru.com just to check out the content that changed my life. We'll be back.
0: The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain Free Studio.
1: The Fed is unstable, interest rates could go up at any moment. If you're relocating and need to buy a new home or invest in real estate, get fully underwritten and approved with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian at Sierra Pacific Mortgage before you make an offer. Their fast-track approval process will allow you to compete with cash offers whether you're buying today, tomorrow, or a year from now. Even though housing prices are stabilizing or coming down, economic uncertainty, supply chain issues, and limited construction means the real estate market is limited and competitive. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com right now. Get fully approved today and have confidence so that when you're ready to buy, you'll have the money ready to go. Don't wait. Go to andrewandtodd.com. Lock in today's still historically low rates. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com.
2: Good morning, everybody. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Epinobi from PragerU, and I'm going to talk about how I got to PragerU. Now... Speaking of progressives coming for you, let's get into the story of how I got to Prager University, or Prager U, as I like to call it. So when I left the organization, I didn't jump immediately into conservative politics, as some might think I would. I instead stepped away from all of it altogether and said, you know what, let's do a job that isn't going to get me in trouble, that I'm not going to have arguments about, that I'm not going to feel depressed doing. And I actually went into working at a medical clinic. I worked there for about a year or two, and eventually I was just gravitating towards conservatism, building up sort of a rapport with all the personalities that you all know and love. And I eventually downloaded a social media app called tiktok the dreaded tiktok app that many of you know is owned and operated by the ccp at the time i wasn't aware of such things but i downloaded the app and started scrolling through it just as a a mindless bit of entertainment for me and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the app it has a page called the for you page where it takes in your demographics mine being at the time a 20 year old half black female And it gives you social media content that it feels you would enjoy. So I'm scrolling through my For You page one day, and I start to get videos about Black Lives Matter and race in America, about how it's important for every young woman to fight for women's reproductive rights and to be a radical feminist in today's day and age. The leftist narrative was being reintroduced into my life through the app known as TikTok. And I thought, ooh, this is not right. And luckily, I was in the headspace to recognize that it was not right. But I thought... What about all the other young people who are being introduced to this app, who are scrolling through this for you page of curated content and finding this exact same message? There's got to be somebody countering this on the app. And I decided, why can't that be me? Why can't I start making videos talking about my journey out of leftism, talking about my awakening and my change in views? So one day I took out my phone and in my bedroom filmed a short little video about how my life had changed and how I had gone from sort of a depressed leftist to a happy, more fulfilled free thinker. And the video took off. This was just something I started to do as a hobby in my bedroom when I wasn't working. And video after video was starting to go viral. And I was starting to build a persona on this app. I eventually made it to about 300,000 followers on TikTok of people who just wanted to hear my political takes. And I guess one of my videos, a video where I dispelled the myth of of white privilege, landed on some of the desks at PragerU. And I was contacted and asked if I would love to come out and tell my story to their audience. So I thought, Heck yeah, a trip to Los Angeles. I'll take that any day. And I came out here to LA. I told my story for a series that we have called Stories of Us, which you can check out by going to PragerU.com. And that video took off. So I was experiencing just this wave of people being interested in what it was that I had to say. Couldn't really understand it, but nonetheless went down the path and followed it. And PragerU ended up offering me a job. So now here I am today hosting a show called Unapologetic Live, which you can find on any podcast podcast platform any bit of social media where we break down everyday news stories pop culture things that young people are talking about but hopefully from a well-rounded right-leaning perspective and what has amazed me the most in doing the work that I'm doing is the people who reach out to me and say, you know what? I didn't feel comfortable saying the things that I truly felt or saying what I was truly thinking until I saw PragerU videos, until I saw what you all were doing, until I watched your podcast. And this is not to get a big head. As, As Dennis says, don't let the hate go to your heart and don't let the love go to your head. It's just to point out that when you step up and you stand up for your values, and you just maneuver through the world with integrity, people are there to follow you. I think so many in particularly my generation, are scared. They're scared of being canceled. They're scared of being ostracized by their community. They're scared of any repercussions that can come with espousing their beliefs. And these don't have to be political beliefs. They can be any beliefs. There just seems to be an environment of fear that is taking over our country in this day and age. And it is hard, There's no immediate incentive to be a free thinker. There's no immediate incentive to stand up for yourself because the initial response and backlash that you get is very much overwhelming. I can't tell you how many thousands of messages I got referring to me as a coon, an Uncle Tom, a race trader, telling me that I should hand in my black card for the views that I had. And average everyday people, That's a responsibility that's really hard to take on. But I should also say that with that wave of hatred came an even bigger wave of support and love from people who thought exactly like I did or even people who didn't, but just appreciated that I was willing to come to the forefront and say what I had to say. And that wave of support far outweighs all the hate that you get, even though it is difficult. And a lot of people ask about my mother, so I'll give a quick update there before we move on to other stories, because of course my mom represents the complete opposite of what my ideology is to this day. And I'll have you know, our relationship is better than ever. We thought family was far more important than politics, so we decided to set those issues aside and continue with our familial relationship. And I think that's something that so many should do in today's day and age. Politics does not really lasts forever. Your family is going to last forever and you'll hope that when the time comes and you are, you are needed by them or they need you, that they will be there to support you. And those are the values that we express at PragerU. If you'd like to check out more of my content, more of what I have to say, you can go to PragerU.com and if you'd like to support the work we're doing here, you can go to PragerU.com slash donate. We'll be back.
0: The Dennis Prager Show.
1: History repeats itself and we're seeing that play out with inflation when Jimmy Carter took office in the late 70s, gold sold for $140 an ounce. By 1980, the price of gold topped out at $870 an ounce. If today's market performs like it did when Carter was in office, the price of gold could skyrocket from $1,800 an ounce to $9,300 an ounce. This is Dennis Prager for Amphet Coin and Bullion. Don't miss out on a great opportunity to purchase precious metals while the prices are still stable. If history repeats itself, we'll see a run on gold, silver, and platinum that will certainly drive up prices. Be smart and buy now, as I am. At AmFed, you're dealing with specialists who provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. You'll never be pressured into buying outrageously priced so-called collectible coins or anything that you don't need. Take advantage of today's prices. AmFed, Coin, and Bullion. 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. AmericanFederal.com. com. .com.
2: (laughs) Good morning, everybody! I'm your sit-in host, Amla Penobi, from Prager University, here to fill in for Dennis today, and I hope I am a well-enough replacement for Dennis Prager, although nobody can replace America's grandpa, as I like to call him. Now, I'd like to tell a little story, because I had an interesting experience very recently. I got to do something that I think most people don't get to do in their lives, and that is be on national television for an episode of Dr. Phil. I never thought in a million years i would be sitting on the dr phil show because in my view dr phil was one of those guys who was just on the tv in the background as i was a kid bringing on families that were going through immense amounts of turmoil and i thought i'll stay as far away from that show as possible but now dr phil is dipping his toes into political cultural and social conversations and they invited me on to be the representation of a conservative perspective on cultural appropriation. For those of you unfamiliar with the idea of cultural appropriation, the left says that white people in particular or people outside of marginalized races, that being uh, African American, black, Hispanic, should not be able to adopt or or take cultural elements from those cultures a good example of this would be kim kardashian choosing to wear braids kim kardashian is an armenian woman who is typically viewed as a white woman that's how people refer to her and she chose to put cornrows in her hair and of course the left went insane because cornrows and braids are apparently black hairstyles and how dare a white woman take on that hairstyle so i got on dr phil To express my beliefs on this and to debate a few left-leaning people uh, with their perspectives on cultural appropriation. And as much as I don't like to hear myself talk in recording, let's play a little clip from that Dr. Phil experience so you can hear what they had to say.
1: Kim Kardashian is part Armenian. Is it okay for her to wear cornrows?
3: I personally think that it depends on what boundaries that culture has set. So I can speak for Black culture. The reason why you know some of us are offended and have problems with white women wearing braids is because it's documented. Black women are getting fired from their jobs for wearing braids. We are called ghetto. We are not seen as professional with our natural cultural hairstyles that are part of Black culture. And then when white women wear them, they are glorified, praised, and even sometimes have the credit attributed to them. So that discrepancy is what where the issue comes into play. If I could respond to that, I think you can speak for yourself as an individual
2: as far as whether or not you are offended by something, but you can't speak on behalf of the entire black culture. There are plenty of black people who watched what Kim Kardashian did and thought the braids looked absolutely fine. And again, I do think imitating is flattery. She didn't step up and say that she's invented the hairstyle. If people attribute that to her, that's something that you do on an individual basis.
3: I feel like it's important to understand the difference between imitating and actually appropriating. So imitating is like, you like my nails, you go do it, you copy. it, Imitating, you like my shoes, buy the same shoes. Sure. Appropriating is when you are copying something of a culture that is not yours, and you are, it's inappropriate, you are disrespecting the boundary that that culture has set. If I copied your shoes tomorrow because I like them, would that not be appropriation? I have not set a boundary against you about the shoes I wear. I don't face discrimination or racism because of the shoes that I wear. So if I, as a biracial, half-black woman, go to Kim Kardashian and say, you know
2: what, that's not a boundary that I've set for you. You may wear cornrows. And I am essentially a black person
3: who has told her I don't have that boundary. Is it then wrong for her to wear the braids the next day? That that comes into play, you're going to, if you do that, you're going to ignore the, like, there's countless documentation of a lot of black women being, like, discriminated and, and experiencing racism because of race. So, by doing that, you're kind of just dissing and ignoring the black women that are struggling with this issue, especially because, you have to think, Kim Kardashian has an extremely large platform. Mm-hmm. So, what she does, her fans see as law and see as she can do no wrong. What an interesting perspective to hear. And first, let me point out what a
2: privileged position we sit in as a society that we can be sitting on national television arguing over whether white people can put cornrows in their hair. I think that puts the whole world in perspective for me that that's what we're arguing when it comes to black oppression in America. Now, let's actually dive into the idea of cultural appropriation, because I feel like I posed a question there that remained unanswered. If I saw an outfit that I liked, and I... Bought that outfit and wore it the next day. Apparently, I'm not appropriating. But if I see something, a hairstyle, maybe from an, an Asian culture or a Hispanic culture, and I adopt that the next day, that's cultural appropriation. There's so many plot holes and pitfalls when it comes uh, to left leaning ideology that you can't keep up. And what's important is that we just continue to ask questions and press and press. You might not get a changed mind in that very moment, as I'm sure I didn't, being on dr phil but those questions will remain in their minds and they will remain unanswered until they choose to truly face them and if you have any questions about today's culture or society you can check out our five minute videos at PragerU, where we go through all those ideas we'll be back
1: dennis prager here to share a product that can help keep everyone more healthy CoFixRx. most of us know that viruses of all types are a part of life What we don't always know are the right products that could be protecting us. So I'd like to tell you about Cofix RX and its doctor-approved secret ingredient. As a safety measure, many doctors and nurses have been using iodine to swab their noses for decades. Iodine has been in use since 1811, and 96% of us are iodine-deficient. Using Cofix RX antiviral nasal spray with povidone iodine is a smart way to stay healthy. Cofix RX is made right here in the USA. It's simple to use. You spray it up your nose, and the iodine destroys germs and pathogens where they multiply. In the nasal cavity. Check out cofixrx.com. That's c o f i x r x.com for a retailer near you, or use the coupon code Prager for twenty percent off at cofixrx.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. I'm not on. T- it is another biblical Jewish holiday, Tabernacles in English, Sukkot in Hebrew. I'll give it a little explanation when I come back on, but it says do not do work on this day, so I'm not in. It keeps me sane. And what will keep you sane is this remarkable, extraordinary young woman, Amala Ebu She is a presenter at You. She is a real find. We thank God we found her. She is a powerful force for good in this country. She's a riot, and she's a live wire, and she has a BLM tattoo. (laughs) How's that? And now, ladies and gentlemen, Amala
2: Nappunobi. Good morning, everybody. I'm your sitting host, Amla Benovi from You, 22 years old. For those of you who don't know me, and you can check out my podcast, Unapologetic Live, by going to any podcast platform. I wanted to let you know before we get into our next subject matter that Dennis's Bible commentary, a rational Bible, Deuteronomy, His next volume is coming out tomorrow, and it's one of the most important Bible commentaries of the modern era. And you all know Dennis. He doesn't like to ask for much, and he certainly doesn't like to do so on his radio show, so I will do it for him. He would love if you would go got a copy of his uh, Deuteronomy Rational Bible. So, So do that for Dennis because he's done so much for us. Now, you know, a lot of the conversations that we're having surrounding culture and politics right now are dealing with the idea of cancel culture, that people can come after you, ruin your livelihood, deplatform platform you, ostracize you from your community, just for simply having a set of values that is dissident to theirs. And this can be a really scary thing for people. And if I wasn't in the position that I'm in, doing the work that I'm doing, where I'm sort of safeguarded from cancel culture by nature of being in the conservative space, I think I might have a little bit of fear uh, in, in giving my opinions as well. It's a very pervasive problem that we're dealing with today, but I wanted to highlight somebody who chose not to bow down to the woke mob and chose to stand up. for himself and that is Matt Walsh I'm sure many of you are familiar with him he works at the Daily Wire for those of you who don't know him and he recently went through a spell of being accused of something very heinous on the internet and that's being accused of being a pedophile how did this come about well a video that he did an interview when he was in his 20s came out uh, from a group called Media Matters uh, a group that essentially scrubs through every single conservative personality's interviews and videos to find something salacious about them and post it on the internet and blast it to the world. And they found a clip of Matt Walsh saying that women are most fertile in their ages of of 17 to their early 20s. And this video goes viral. And of course, the video is just Matt Walsh stating what is a simple fact. And I'm a woman who will reinforce that fact to you today. Women are most fertile in that age period. Now, the left took that and said, Matt Walsh is a pedophile. He wants to impregnate 17 year olds and 16 year olds, even though Matt Walsh has a wife that is similar to him in age, and he has multiple children with that wife. And I don't think he is looking for any 16 year olds. But nonetheless, people ran with this narrative. And Matt Walsh is a pedophile was trending all over the Internet. Now, Matt could have cowered. He could have took into the internet, turned on his camera and said, I'm so sorry for those statements that I made decades ago. And I really apologize. And, and what do I need to do? Do I need to kiss your feet in order to be let back into the club? But no, Matt Walsh did the exact opposite of that. And I want to play a clip of his apology. I put in air quotes for those of you who can't see me to the woke mob. Here it is.
4: So here's my official answer for the record um kiss my I do not apologize. In fact, by all rights, you sick freaks should be the ones apologizing to me for lying and defaming me and doing it all because I'm trying to prevent you from sexually mutilating children. You damned monsters. You child abusing psychopaths. I wouldn't apologize to you soulless parasites if I had a gun to my head. Instead, I'd rather just tell you all to piss off. I apologize for nothing. I concede nothing. I will never surrender even a single inch of ground to a pitchfork mob of degenerate morons. You know, the secret they never say out loud is that nobody is truly canceled unless they consent to it and they willingly play their assigned roles. Well, I do not consent, and I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going anywhere.
2: The world has gone. Wow! Into bit- you guys heard it here, so. I hear that, of course, as a woman. I'm like, that is some pretty strong language. But the accusation was a very strong accusation. And Matt Walsh said, You know what? I am not going to bow down to this. I am not going to let you try and ruin my reputation, ruin my livelihood. I'm going to stand strong and speak out against the mob. Now, it's important to point out, he does say you can't get canceled without your consent. It's important to point out that he is in somewhat of a privileged position. Matt Walsh. Couldn't be canceled, regardless of what comes out, because he has a steady job at an institution that supports his values, and that's a privilege that I have. It's a privilege that people like J.K. Rowling, the the author of Harry Potter, has when she speaks out against some of the gender ideology on the internet. She has so many supporters and a, a vast network of people who are ready to be there uh, when when things hit the fan. So not all of us have that privilege, but there's something to be said about. Even without having that privilege, standing up for yourself and saying, no, I said what I said. It was a fact. I stand by it. You can twist it and reshape it and try to paint me as something that I'm not, but I'm a person with integrity and value and a moral compass, and I by no means have to bend down and kiss the feet of people who hate me. And Matt Walsh, of course, rose to prominence in speaking out against gender theory with children. He wrote a children's book called Johnny the Walrus, which I'm sure you would love to check out if you have kids and maybe you want to have this conversation with them in a way that is actually good for children. And he's coming after these these hospitals and clinical practices that are deciding to engage in sexual reassignment surgery of minors. So he's placed a very big target on his back. And that's why these institutions are trying to scrub through things that he said and come at him and paint him to be this evil monster, because they want their ideology to prevail. They want to move forward with really causing irreversible harm to the children of America. And he's decided that this is a hill he will die on. This is an issue that he's going to take on in full force. And I'm right there with him. If there's an issue that I feel as though I'm most passionate about today, it is the issue of gender theory and children and making children confused about their gender. Now, over the past few years, we're seeing skyrocketing numbers of young people in particular identifying as things like transgender, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, asexual, agendered. I know it's hard to keep up with all the different terminology that's coming out and all the new language, which is one of the tricks that they use to keep you confused. But young people are falling for it, hook, line, and sinker. And I think about my younger self. I was a tomboy through and through as a kid. I was out playing flag football, playing pool with the boys at Boys and Girls Club. I wanted to wear pants and not skirts. I wasn't particularly girly or interested in anything uh, that girls are typically interested in. And had I grown up in today's time, I might have run into the issue of my parent's viewing me as a transgender child and taking me down the route of something like medical transitioning, which I cannot stress enough, causes irreversible damage to children. So I think that could have been me had I grown up in a different time. And now we're seeing this issue grow and grow with the young people in this country. And these are people who cannot advocate for themselves. That's the problem here. Children don't have the facilities to realize what's happening to them, to realize that they're being indoctrinated or maybe even brainwashed into changing their lives in a way that could destroy them uh, to to the fullest extent. When we look at the suicide rates of transgender individuals in this country, what is a very small portion of our society with extremely high rates of mental illness, suicide, depression, anxiety, you name it. So we have young children sitting here taking in all of this information and we have young boys who maybe like the things that girls are typically interested in or young girls who like the things that boys are interested in and instead of telling them and reassuring them that boys and girls can present themselves any way they see fit that you can be a feminine boy or a masculine girl instead of saying that which I feel is truly liberating is truly empowering instead we say no Girls who like boy things? must be boys we must take them to the doctor and the same uh and vice versa and we're leading children down a path of of destruction of confusion of anguish of inner turmoil and it's going to be hard for them to recover from this now we cover this in a five minute video on PragerU.com called why girls become boys headed up by abigail schreier who has a brilliant book called irreversible damage that you can read on the issue but i encourage you to at the very least watch that five minute video if you want to learn more about this subject matter that's at PragerU.com. And if you'd like to support us making those five-minute videos, go to PragerU.com slash donate. It's tax-deductible. Welcome back, honey. ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk more about gender because I had an interesting experience yesterday that I'd love to fill you in on. Now, let's let's dive back into the issue of of gender theory and the transgender culture that is as i said before exponentially growing in the united states of america yesterday i had a really interesting experience i got invited to be on a very popular youtube show called middle ground and what they do is they bring in people from two opposing groups or ideologies to have a discussion and debate surrounding some of the most prevalent narratives when it comes to the issue at hand I was invited on for an episode titled Conservative Women vs. Trans Women Middle Ground. So I got the email for this saying, do you want to come and represent your conservative beliefs uh, against a group of trans women? And I thought, absolutely. Where do I sign up? When's the day? I'll be there early. I would love to have this conversation. And I think that's the important part about what I get to do, and that's the fascinating part about what I get to do. Not only do I just sit behind a camera and talk to you about my views, but I love to actually talk to the communities and get involved with the people who we are referencing. It's really easy to sit behind a camera and say whatever it is you feel and have maybe not a sense of anonymity, but at least a sense of separation from the people who you are talking about and to. And to face that head on and actually have a discussion and debate surrounding such an important issue is something that I do not take lightly and something that i i took on full force so i showed up to the studio yesterday morning not really nervous or anything because uh, we all know we like to keep up with uh, our opposing sides we keep up with their arguments we keep up with the things that they say whereas maybe they don't do the same for us, but they showed up and it was three conservative women versus three trans women. And we stood in the back of a really large studio as the producer read out statements. Uh, a statement that the producer might read out are, trans women should be allowed to use the bathroom of their choice and if you agree you step into this circle and sit down in a stool and you talk to people about why you agree with the statement while the disagreeers stand in the back of the studio and eventually they bring back the people who disagree and you guys hash it out and have a debate surrounding the issue so we talked about everything indoctrination of children in schools and in hollywood whether or not trans women should be able to be and participate in female sports and on female teams whether or not trans individuals should be able to use the bathroom of their choice and what what shocked me the most i would say is one trans woman who was on the panel was particularly conservative uh, if you can believe it given the the circumstances of her existence and i'll I'll use the proper the the pronouns chosen by this person to go through the story just because it's easier so this trans woman came and sat and and she expressed that no i don't think that kids should be able to transition i think we've gone too far with that i think it depends really on a case-by-case basis but if you can wait until adulthood you should wait till adulthood she also stepped forward when asked um that when told that trans women should not compete in female sports and said, no, I don't think transgender individuals should be able to compete in female sports and had a similar take when it came to bathrooms. So it's interesting to see that even within the trans community, people exist on a spectrum of belief as to how far the ideology goes. And many of them actually believe that it has gone too far and particularly with kids. So that was, believe it or not, a a silver lining experience for me and something that opened my eyes to a part of, of that community, or at least a conversation regarding that community that I wasn't having necessarily before. And we we hashed out all these issues over about a span of, of two hours. And I will say only in a couple of moments did the conversation become particularly contentious, where we were going back and forth and maybe elevating our voices a little bit. But other than that, it was a very sound and civil discussion and I think it's important that we start to highlight those moments and search for those moments in our daily lives like I said before it's easy to sit here and talk about the issues it's easy to tell you that I'm against this it's easy to say it's wrong here here and here and here's why it's harmful but it's a different thing to look somebody in the face who's currently experiencing this and tell them here's where I think you're wrong and what can we do about it where is the middle ground that we can find on this situation and I went into this experience not expecting to find find a lot of middle ground, and by George, we've done it. We did find a little bit of middle ground where we, we thought maybe the ideology was going a little bit too far, and I was able to empathize with them and, and sit on their side of things as well. One of the points that I really wanted to drive in was a, a discussion that we got into when the question was posed, have you ever struggled with your gender identity? and I will be the first to say I have never struggled with my gender identity, but I feel lucky I have never struggled with my gender identity. So often when we have these conversations from a conservative perspective, we look at these people and we can look down on them. Uh, We talk nasty to them in, in many cases. And I don't think that's how we make things better. I don't think that's how we bridge the gap, even though some of the things that they're doing are horrendous and there are moments to be strong, like we heard in that Matt Walsh video earlier. But there are also moments for empathy and a moment where I feel like the room really came together is when i looked at them and said you know what i've never experienced gender confusion before and i wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy and i bet the lives that you lead can be really hard waking up in the morning looking in the mirror and not liking what you see living in your body and not liking the way that you feel and every all of the trans women sitting in that room nodded their heads in agreement and had this moment of wow they don't hate us they don't hate me and We started the discussion with them truly hating conservatives, thinking that we were a threat to them. And by the end of it, we shook hands, hugged even. I invited them on my show, and hopefully they'll be on the podcast in the near future. And that will be on Unapologetic Live. You can check it out on all podcast platforms. I can't wait for the episode to come out of our discussion. But until then, you can check out my content on PragerU.com. And like I said, Unapologetic Live on all podcast platforms. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your sit-in host, Amla Banovi, wherever you are in the world. I hope your day is going well. We're going to take some calls this segment. I'd like to hear from Robert in Carmichael, California.
5: Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, of course. Um, I don't know. I don't mean to offend when I say this because I don't know the proper uh, term, but uh, on the cultural appropriation what tribe are they associating with? Versus um, the black um, culture is a very broad um, uh, topic. Not not topic. The um, title um, would it be the Maasai? Would it be the Hutu? Would, it, would how how are you uh, how are you culturally appropriating something that maybe the person who's claiming cultural appropriation, if they were Uh, their DNA was checked and they were from this specific tribe, if that's the the proper term. Um, Well, maybe they're not uh, being appropriated from.
2: You're absolutely right, Robert. Thank you so much for calling. And this is a point that I made on the Dr. Phil show when we were having this debate around cultural appropriation. It is impossible to police, which really, for me, tells me that they're only they're only caring about one thing. What they care about is whether or not white people are taking things from black culture. And that is, it's a one-way street. It's never the other way around. They're not going to do the research and put in the time to figure out which African tribe was wearing which hairstyle. And even so, you'll find that these hairstyles have been shared amongst many cultures throughout different periods of our history. And I made the point on the show that if you look around the room that we're sitting in, which was filled with dozens of people at the time, everybody is wearing things has hairstyle is probably eating food from different cultures how are we meant to police that it is an impossible thing to take on and really is just an example of people taking on something that they feel they can complain about and if that is our evidence of systemic oppression in america cultural appropriation and stealing hairstyles or makeup or food then guess what black people are doing pretty good (laughs) let's take another call here i'd like to hear from michael in detroit hi michael how are you
6: oh good good thank you yeah you know i just um when when it comes to uh, the alphabet soup uh, community i think the vast majority of people in this country just don't care you know about how they self-identify what their you know, activities are or anything like that. But when it comes to children, you're talking about, when you're talking about chemical castration or bilateral mastectomy and so on, you're talking about just uh, really child abuse on a massive scale. You know, there's such a thing, I worked in the medical field for 35 years, there's su- such a thing as a Hippocratic oath, do no harm. And there's such a thing about medical mal- malpractice. Mm-hmm. And there's also such a thing called uh, child development 101, and you don't have to be a psychiatrist, you can just be a parent to understand that children get depressed, they could get confused about their identity, sexual or otherwise, and they go through their stages at different times in their childhood. This is just a massive, uh, you know, I hate to say this, atrocity that, that they're inflicting on our children. I mean, they have no right. Uh, To to touch our children without our permission
2: you are absolutely right Michael. Thank you so much for calling and this is what is going to happen with this issue Dennis and I say we don't like to predict things but I do predict we're going to look back on this and history is not going to look kindly on what we've done to children in this particular day and age and. It's it's unbelievable to me that this is not blatantly obvious to most people. But I'll also say that the the line of research and study surrounding these subjects matters is severely lacking. I believe I read the other day in the United States, there's only one nonpartisan study of transgenderism that's happened in this country. Now, you have other countries like Sweden, Finland, France, who have taken the time to do the research, look into this issue and have decided, no, we are not going to allow minors below the age of 18 to transition. And there are a few doctors here in the United States that are, are talking about this. Deborah So, a neuroscientist who wrote a book called The End of Gender, which I recommend you all check out and read. Uh, also, Ken Zucker, a well-known psychologist who has been really excommunicated from the, his community because of what he said. He worked with children who had gender dysphoria and found that 70% of them in the work that he did ended up changing their minds about their gender discomfort and gender confusion But now we live in a day and age where we are telling scientists, researchers, doctors that you must follow the route of blind affirmation or you are done. You are to have your license taken away from you. You cannot work with your colleagues. You're not invited to the conferences anymore. And this is all failing our our children failing American children because we're going to go down this route of irreversible damage of chemical castration of bodily mutilation and they're not going to recover from this and again we talk about this in depth in several of our videos at PragerU you can check them out by going to PragerU.com that's (laughs) PragerU.com
1: Be you, one that's done all the things Hi everybody, I'll Dennis do. Prager here, I'm not on today. It is another biblical Jewish holiday, tabernacles in English, Sukkot in Hebrew. I'll give it a little explanation when I come back on, but it says do not do work on this day, so I'm not in. It keeps me sane. And what will keep you sane is this remarkable, extraordinary young woman, Amala Epunobi, she is a presenter at PragerU. She is a real find. We thank God we found her. She is a powerful force for good in this country. She's a riot, and she's a live wire, and she has a BLM tattoo. <laughs> How's that? And now, ladies and gentlemen, Kamala and Buhnau.
2: Woo! I have so much to live up to after that glowing introduction. And yes, I do have Black Power Fist tattooed on my left arm, regrettably. Got that when I was 16. Don't let your 16-year-olds get tattoos. If you leave this show with anything today, I hope you leave with that bit of advice. Now, if there's something that you're going to regret hearing, it's probably this next segment. But I had to be subjected to it, so I figured I might as well subject you all to it. You know, around election time, uh, a lot of people are asking themselves, how do we get black people out to the polls? They're constantly fighting over the black vote and asking, how can we do it? Now, a, a black dating site by the name BLK, uh, sh- of course, short for black, has put out a video titled No Voting No. And let me spell this out. V as in Victor. U C K I N G. That is no voting, no V U C K I N G. You guys can sound that out, and if you can't, you're too young to even know what that might mean. So, it's a music video that they've put out trying to encourage young black women and men to go out to the polls. Now, I want you to hear it before I describe what this video stands for and the message it's trying to get out. So, here's the video. Yeah. Yeah. It's
6: voting
3: season, bruh. No voting, no loving.
6: No voting, no touching. No voting, no. Uh, no, touch. uh, uh, no, uh, no nothing. Now balling, no voting on me. No voting, no love. No voting, okay. no loving. S- no voting, alp- T- okay. no touching. No voting, no nothing. No voting on me. No voting, no voting. app looking for some action. Swing the home of Scott was heck. Faces and eyes. Mm-hmm. To be determined, <laughs> he got mad, Joe. He don't seem bro. The only word, he said he don't vote. This, this, this mid-turns bought a single cue. Wanna hit this booty, gotta do your civic duty. No fucking, no, no love. No.
2: I think no. that's in. enough. So I no think that me. might just no. be enough of that. Uh, So for those of you who might not listen to rap music on a regular basis and might not know at all what that song meant after listening to it, it's essentially a rap song that is encouraging young black females in particular to date and engage in sexual activity with men who vote. So if your man does not go to the polls and vote, and I'm assuming vote, vote Democrat, as they allude to in some of the lyrics later on in the song, then maybe you should not engage in sexual activity with him and this is going to encourage young black men and women to go out and vote the video even goes as far as to depict some sexual acts and yeah. oh that goodness one. they're it's choosing to subject time. me to this now, even more now, 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 the producers of this show are dancing now, in now, the, now, the background oh <laughs> my goodness now, it's horrific, ladies and gentlemen. And, I, and I'm saying this as a fan of rap music. The song is horrific. And when I saw this, very seldom am I speechless. But when I saw this video, I was speechless. I could not imagine a group of people sitting around at a table and presumably having a conversation uh, that sounds like this. Well, how do you think we encourage young black voters to go to the polls well we know that they're obsessed with sexual activity and rap music and people like cardi b and meg the stallion so why not make a rap song a very sexual one that encourages them to go out and vote because that must be what black people are motivated by and i saw this and it truly is a prime example of how little some people on the left progressive end of things think of black people there's a famous quote about this soft bigotry of low expectations, and to that I say it's no longer the soft bigotry of low expectations. This is hard, flat-out, blatant bigotry of low expectations. This is truly an example of how they view the black community at large, that we are just sex-crazed and inexperienced, uneducated individuals who they can use as pawns and rely on every single election cycle to come out to vote. And they put out these silly little videos, which I think anybody who is a member of the black community or outside of it should look at and truly be offended by because it is such a derogatory depiction of black people. Now, of course, you have to ask yourself, how much has black culture contributed to this caricature? And that's not an issue that we can run from You have people like I stated before Megan The Stallion, Cardi B Nicki Minaj, these rap artists who are female, although we do have plenty of male ones as well, who choose to make videos with no clothing on, rapping about their sexual activities, how many men they've been with, how much of a motivator it is for them, how confident and empowered it makes them feel. They're liberated due to the amount of sexual activity that they engage in. And this is what uh, politicians, campaign runners, people who are working behind the scenes, like the people at this dating app, think Uh, Black people think this is what they think we are motivated by, because how possibly could a black person truly care about their civic duty or educate themselves on the way in which voting affects their communities directly or how they pass certain legislation or, or what representatives matter to them, their state, their communities? We couldn't possibly know any of that. We couldn't possibly be educated on it. So we need these little flimsy, salacious music videos to truly encourage us to get out the vote. (laughs) and i i even went in to check on this black dating site to see who could possibly be putting money behind this who could possibly be endorsing a message like this who could have watched this and thought "Yup, great idea ladies and gentlemen let's put that out onto the internet and on their instagram is a video of Michelle Obama on behalf of their black dating app, asking people to get out to vote, asking black people to do their civic duty and head to the polls. So presumably uh, Michelle Obama endorses the message of, again, no voting, no V as in Victor, U-C-K-I-N-G. We can sound that out at home. And... This is, of course, a blatant example. It's a particularly disturbing example. But let's talk about the other examples where this is happening in our nation, this, the soft bigotry, or as I like to call it, hard bigotry of low expectations. This video, you could say, is just an extension of things like affirmative action, where we're telling black people when you apply to jobs or colleges that the poor little black kid couldn't possibly do it on his own so we must give him a boost we must add to his academic average in order to put him at par with his white counterparts or his asian counterparts with jobs well we're going to take the black female candidate before we take any other candidates not because the black candidate might be the best suited for the job but because we feel bad for them. This is what's happened with the Supreme Court nomination of Katanji Brown Jackson, who has now obviously been affirmed and is sitting on the Supreme Court. This administration said we are looking for a black female because they can't possibly do it on their own right. They can't possibly uh, achieve an accolade like that without the help of affirmative action. We also see this in the lowering of standards in schools. Oregon was a state whose governor came out and said, you know what, we're going to lower the reading, the writing, and the arithmetic standards for graduating high school because the poor little black and Hispanic kids couldn't do it on their own. So we must do it for them. And instead of saying, well, why are we having trouble in these communities with things like literacy rates, with things like graduation, with things like prison and jail time? Instead of addressing the issues at their heart, at their core, and maybe getting black and brown individuals to the same level as their white and Asian counterparts, we lower the standards for them because it's simply not possible. And it's interesting that in the crooks of this argument, we don't care about Asian Americans at all because they're the ones being hurt. Harvard and a lot of Ivy League institutions are about to see a Supreme Court case against them that is led by Asian students who are being harmed by affirmative action. Because Asian culture... Keeps two parents in the household. Asian culture cares about academic standing. Asian culture pushes against the victimhood narrative. So they're no longer the helpful minorities that we can use for our narrative and for our propaganda. Just the black and Hispanic ones. And this video, affirmative action, the lowering of standards, are all examples of the hard bigotry of low expectations. And I, as a biracial woman, I completely reject the idea. We can meet your standards. We can do what everybody else can do. If only you allow us the time, the space, and the resources to do it. And these are issues and topics that we explore on my podcast called Unapologetic Live. You can check it out on all podcast platforms, and you can find me on all social media. We'll be back.
0: The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm your sit-in host, Amala Epinobi. Now... Speaking again, of Progressive's coming for people, let's talk about Kanye West, also known as Ye, who in his Yeezy season nine premiere of his clothing line ended up wearing a White Lives Matter sweatshirt. He was also uh, in the company of Candace Owens, who decided to wear a White Lives Matter sweatshirt herself. They were photographed together. Those photographs go on the Internet. And of course, the Internet is set ablaze by the fact that two black people like Candace Owens and Kanye Kanye West would wear White Lives Matter sweatshirts in public, or even at all. So, of course, people take to the Internet, are yelling at them and saying, how dare you wear something like this? It is a disgrace to black people. It is a disgrace to the Black Lives Matter movement. And to be two people who are members of this group who continue to, to wear a sweatshirt like this that says White Lives Matter, you should feel ashamed of yourself. And, of course... Kanye retorted back. He ended up doing a a now iconic interview with Tucker Carlson where he spoke about the issue. And when asked why he wore a White Lives Matter sweatshirt, Kanye responded by saying, isn't it obvious that White Lives Matter? That's why I wore it on a shirt. And that was truly just about the extent of his commentary on the issue. And it's interesting because I feel like that's all the commentary that the issue really needs, although we're going to get in-depth here. White Lives Matter isn't that obvious. And when I saw this go trending on social media, I had a little bit of an aversion to seeing and I thought, okay, how much could you possibly be doing with wearing a sweatshirt like this? How much is it actually contributing to uh, a bridging of the gap, a uh, middle ground in the conversation? What are we truly doing here when we wear a t-shirt like this? But then I started to see some of the responses to Kanye wearing this shirt. And It was people hopping on him again, calling him the same phrases that I get called an Uncle Tom, a coon, a race traitor. You know, the common phrases that are thrown out at people who choose to step out of this box that we've created for black America. And what is profound about this is if you're so upset about seeing a white lives matter sweatshirt. Why don't you hold the same energy and have the same response when you see a black lives matter sweatshirt? Because we allowed so many people to run with the narrative and with the phrase black lives matter. We allowed them to wear sweatshirts that said black lives matter. We even allowed them as a country to protest in the streets and riot and loot and burn things down for months and months and months in 2020, all in the name of black lives matter. And that wasn't particularly offensive to anybody. That didn't have anybody up in arms. Certainly didn't create an internet firestorm towards the organization. And even after they stole a bunch of money, millions of dollars, bought mansions and prime real estate in white neighborhoods, even after all that, we didn't find progressives talking about an issue with the phrase Black Lives Matter. Yet when Kanye and Candace, two black people, wear White Lives Matter sweatshirts, it's an issue And Kanye pointed out something profound, whether or not he he meant to do it or not. He talked about an issue that he was dealing with with his now ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, where after their divorce, she was keeping him away from their children. Now, I don't like to engage with or, or keep on top of celebrity drama, but... We often talk about the issue of fatherlessness. It's affecting all communities in our nation right now, but particularly the black community where upwards of 70 percent of young black children are growing up without fathers. So Kanye West calls out to the media and says, hey, I'm a pretty prominent, famous black man, and I'm being kept away from my children. He was famously berated and and joked about for trying to buy the house next door to Kim Kardashian so that he could be close to his family, something that we would ask of really any father if we truly cared about fatherlessness in America. But when he sounded off to the press and the media about his inability to get in contact with his children, radio silence. Nobody had anything to say. But as soon as they can bring down a black man for wearing a White Lives Matter t-shirt, we all have something to say. We all have whistles to blow. We all have alarms to sound. And we all have a nice bit of criticism for a man who's simply just trying to get out an obvious message. White lives matter. Black lives matter. Hispanic lives matter. Asian lives matter. Some might even say all lives matter, even though that's been labeled as a message of white supremacy. If that's the case, I guess I am like Larry Elder, the blackface of white supremacy, (laughs) because I completely agree with these statements. And while I don't think I'll find myself prancing around L.A. in a White Lives Matter t-shirt, because one, I wouldn't survive that, (laughs) and two, because it's not a message that I feel is, is necessary, it did spark an interesting conversation. And it's that if you are offended by white lives matter, why aren't you offended by black lives matter? And even more than that, why would you be offended by a statement like all lives matter? Because all of us do. And now we're in a culture where black people are safeguarded from any criticism, so long as they're not conservative. That's the caveat there. And white people get all the criticism in the world. You can dog them, bully them, cancel them, throw things at them, In fact, why not spit on them in the street? And nothing will be done to you because we don't view white people as a protected group anymore. We view them as as outside uh, the, the, the margins of our society, as people who no longer have a place in our conversations due to the power and privilege they've had throughout history. That's the propagandized narrative that we've all heard, I'm sure. And Kanye West decided to step out of that narrative and do so boldly with the White Lives Matter sweatshirt. So... All that to say I'm not mad at it. All that to say I think it sparked a very important conversation and a conversation that we'll continue to have so long as this race narrative persists. And if I do anything in my time here on this earth, I hope it's work to see this racism narrative end, to have people step outside of the bounds of this ideology and start leading more fulfill more fulfilling lives. You'll be happier. You'll be more positive. You'll be more sound of mind as soon as you do that. And that's what we talk about on my podcast, Unapologetic Live. You can check it out on all podcast platforms if you'd like to hear me go more in depth about this subject. We'll see you.
0: The Dennis Prager Show.
2: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, or morning, depending on where you are. Before we get into taking a call here, I wanted to announce that Dennis' next volume of his Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, is coming out tomorrow. It's one of the most important Bible commentaries of the modern era. And Dennis won't say this because he doesn't like to ask you for much, but he would love if you bought a copy of his Rational Bible, Deuteronomy, Volume like I said, coming out tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, it makes probably a good Christmas gift for all you Christians out there, or even your non Christians who just want to hear a bit of Dennis's Bible commentary. Now, let's take a call from Jane in Harrison. Jane, are you there? My, yes, I am. Can hi. you hear me? Yes. Hi, how are you? Good.
7: After raising four kids, I took my first college class and ended up with a, eight years later, eight long years later, ended up with a master's in counseling. And I was shocked to learn that while studying child development, that the adolescent brain begins at 10 and ends at 24. Mm -hmm. 10 is not a surprise. 24 shocked me. When we think about our society and what's going on, especially these sex changes, a lot of them are probably going to be adolescents. Can I tell you one more quick thing? Of course. Okay, during that time I was studying and doing different things, I read a, a parenting book called Hooked. And it's so prevalent in our society that it, once people have more than three sexual partners, they start losing the ability to bond. Hmm. And when you think of promiscuity in our society today, sexual promiscuity, I think that those two things together are toxic, and I think a lot of junk that's going on today is because of that.
2: Jane, I think you're you're very much right. Thank you so much for calling. And there's a lot to unpack there. First, what you talked about with the the adolescent brain and development and not maturing till the age of 24. Uh, I wasn't even familiar with the age of being 24. I've heard, you know, differing things. Some people say 25, 26, Um, but this is true. And we are allowing young children, some of us, to make irreversible decisions about their lives and about their gender that will go on to have repercussions the likes of which we've never seen before. It's going to be just so detrimental to them. And I do want to talk about that for just a minute. As I said earlier in the show, I did a video shoot yesterday where it was conservative women versus trans women talking about their ideology and ideas. And we spoke about the issue of indoctrinating children with gender theory and making them gender confused. And I made the point that, There are so many things that we don't allow children to do or consent to. Medical treatments, they're they're not able to consent to, although in some states we're having battles over that now. Tattoos, drinking, driving voting yet we are telling children that they can choose their gender and go through a medical process that will just harm them for the rest of their lives even if it's something that makes them happier which the research is is not sufficient in backing up at all and we've gotten into the research earlier in the show but when we look at, at children who are going through these processes of of sex reassignment surgery we're talking mastectomies which is a a just a vast amount of trauma to be putting the body through. As far as the the genital surgeries that are being done there, we're talking about lack of sensation, feeling, a completely fabricated and experimental procedure that is being done, and repercussions that are not educate they're not educating these patients on and they're realizing after they've gone through the surgeries that these are things that they're going to have to deal with mix all that in with the hormones and drugs that they're taking that chemically castrate them and all of this mixing in being pushed to children and being told oh well it's not going to harm them that much and and the puberty blockers are reversible Even though there's not much research on that subject matter either, it is unbelievable to hear what is happening to our children. And as I said before, history is not going to view us kindly if this is the path that we continue down. But when you try to sound off on these issues, you run into problems. And this is something we're going to talk about and something that I mentioned earlier I'll be at Winona State University in Minnesota on Friday to give a speech to the student and students and faculty there who choose to go. Of course, it's a free event that you can register for if you guys are in Minnesota and you want to come meet me and check it out and listen to what I have to say. I've been to this university before. In fact, I was there about a year prior to this very day now. And when I spoke, there was a A group of 40 plus students who were there to protest me and they've now written a letter to the editor by the faculty association of winona state university about my presence on campus and we're going to touch on that in the next segment and i will give you my response i'll also be responding to them in person when i'm on the campus because we are not going to stifle free speech in the united states of america i hope we all stand for free speech it's very important and you can check out more of my ideas at prageru.com And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's our last segment for today, and I'll be sad to see you go. I always love guest hosting for Dennis and sitting in, and hopefully I'm doing a good job and you've been entertained. I'll introduce myself for the last time. I'm Amla Pinobi, 22 years old. I work for PragerU, and I was a former radical leftist turned free thinker who now likes to talk about my views through the lens of pop culture and the different social and cultural issues we're experiencing in today's day, day and age. I have a podcast called Unapologetic Live you can find on all platforms, and you can Find me on all social media by typing in my name, I'm I know it's a mouthful, but uh, try your best. <laughs> I want to take a call really quickly here because we're running out of time. From Jane in Minneapolis, she's a graduate of Winona State, where I'll be visiting this week. Hi, Jane. Hi, Amala. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank I you. Was really, dis- I was really disappointed to
7: hear what you had to say about my college that I'm an alumni of, and mm-hmm. I'm really bothered by it. And when I was at Winona State. 20 some years ago, it was like 2500. It was a nice community. There really wasn't much politics. So to hear now so many years later that they've just totally flipped. I'm shocked because it is a small school. Mm -hmm. When I was there, it was 2500. Now it's more than doubled. And it's just it's just crushing.
2: I I hear what you're saying, Jane. Uh, Thank you so much for your call. This really did shock me for a bit. If there was a place that I was not expecting to be protested, it was Winona State University in Minnesota. You always think that in these little corners of the United States that you're not going to find people who are... Uh, overtaken by wokeness and this need to crush dissident opinions and to cancel and to censor. But as soon as I got to the campus, I recognized that this was a problem. Problem Even prior to getting there, students were talking about my hateful views and hateful ideology and how I shouldn't be welcome on the campus. They tried with all their might to get the uh, get the event canceled, and that didn't work because there are still people who value free speech and i'm very grateful for that so i will be returning there friday for all of you guys listening now if any of you are in minnesota at the time please feel free to come out it's a free event you can register online and you'll be able to listen to my speech at winona state and decide for yourself whether or not i'm a hateful biracial white supremacist (laughs) or maybe uh whether there's merit to my my views or not like i said my name is Amala Panobi I host a podcast called Unapologetic Live on all podcast platforms, and I work for PragerU. You can check out my content by going to PragerU.com or any social media platform. It's been a pleasure sitting in and talking to you all today. Uh, rarely do I get the opportunity to talk to you know such a large audience and such an an audience that is so educated in, in what Dennis has to say and his value, so I hope I did a good job stepping into his shoes today. And like I said before, if you want to support the work that we're doing, support the content that i'm creating for a particularly young audience you can go to prageru.com we're also a nonprofit, so you could give us a tax deductible donation today of any amount any amount you see fit and it will help us create content that is reaching young minds and hopefully changing them that's at prageru.com slash donate again i'm amala epinobi thank you so much for having me today
0: the dennis prager show